Sam introduced me. I'm Chris Saladay. I'm class of 94. Um, and it's really good to end the academic week here with everyone tonight. Uh, I've been coming to Friday night meetings like this now for 17 years, and I'm always refreshed and encouraged. Every time God does that for me, and in many ways I'm refreshed and encouraged because here I am with you. Um, I know 17 years ago that wasn't the case, but uh, here I am with you tonight. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do on a Friday night on a college campus, but here you are gathering together some other people and seeking God, and that is just so encouraging and refreshing to me. So it's good to be with you here tonight. And you're not the first generation who's done this. I mean, the PCF has been around since the 1930s, so there are many generations who have done this before you. Um, you come from a great cloud of witnesses uh, here tonight. And may God encourage you, whether you're here for the first time or um, you've been here many times, may God encourage you here tonight. And I pray that you would find that this would be a community where you can come back and feel encouraged or be encouraged from week to week, and that you feel like you belong. Last Friday, we began a series called Our Identity in Christ. There's a slide up there. We talked about how we all have various identity markers. Uh, some of my identity markers would be I'm a New Jersey in New Jersey. I'm a runner. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I was an econ major. I was an, I was an algebra teacher for six years. Go quadratic formula. <laughs> Uh, I'm a minister, right? And, and then you have your identity markers as well. And the idea is that when we orient our lives around God and Jesus Christ, that identity, like, I belong to God, I belong to Christ, that identity transforms and shapes the way we think in everything, the way that we live everywhere. And last week, the identity marker was, I am a disciple. And disciples, they learn from their master, Jesus Christ, and they become like their master. And this week, our identity marker is, I am a steward. And when you hear that word, steward, um, there's a definition right there. One who looks after someone or something else, often the stuff. This is a really technical definition. <laughs> you know, the stuff that belongs to somebody else. You're, you're called to be a steward over that other person's stuff. Um, and when you hear the word steward, I'm sure there are a number of things that come to mind, so I, I'm going to help you out. Maybe this is what comes to mind, right? An airline steward. And think about it. I mean, an airline steward oversees and cares for the people on the plane. That's why they're called a, a, a steward. Maybe you picture this. Any soccer fans here? Right? Football fans? <laughs> Daniel Brock, I know you are, right? Okay. So in England, the, the people who wear these reflective vests, and they're, they're, they're throughout the crowd and on the, on the field, on the pitch, Right? They're, they're called stewards, and they're there to protect mainly the players. Right? You can see, whenever, when a fan runs on the field, the, the stewards are there to protect the players from getting hurt. Right? Like, and you see a scene like this, a guy in a tie, it's somewhat tragic and sad, but also funny at the same time. But like, the guy's just getting carried off by a number of stewards off the field. Um, and then maybe you think of this, right? Uh, there's a steward. There's, this is um, Mr. Carson of Down Abbey. I see some people nodding their heads. I see other people with just this blank <laughs> He is the butler of Lord Grantham, right? Lord who? Lord Grantham. <laughs> so there's, there's um, Mr. Carson. He's the highest ranking steward of Lord Grantham's estate. He manages his extensive wine collection. He even manages... 
this other steward who manages Lord Grantham's hunting dogs. Like, I, I want that. Who, I, who wants a steward for their hunting dogs? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, uh, and that's about all I know from Down Abbey because I stopped watching after season one. So, anyway, I know some of you are thinking, okay, there's Mr. Carson. Can we get to the Bible? Yes, we can get to the Bible now. Um, tonight our passage is Psalm 8. And, you know, whether this is the first Bible message that you've heard, or you've heard many before, this is just a great text, a great text for you here at the beginning of a semester, um, whether you're an undergraduate or a grad student. Um, the Bible sometimes describes our relationship as, with God as master-steward, um, and, and remember what a steward is, it's someone who oversees and cares for and looks after the stuff of another. Of another. Um, and Mr. Carson, I mean, I, I, this is the last time I'm bringing Mr. Carson, he can't say, yeah, this is my wine. It's not his wine. It's Lord Grantham's wine. He can't say that. He's just called to look after it. Psalm 8 is a psalm that praises God for making us his stewards. And, and no, the, stu- the word steward never appears in the psalm, but it really, it's, it's woven throughout the entire psalm, or the whole poem. So here, listen as I read Psalm 8. It goes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's the word of the Lord for us tonight. And and I think you can hear, if you go back to the previous slide, Robbie, you can hear stewardship so clearly throughout the psalm, but especially in verse 6, right? You, God, have given him, mankind, dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. That's stewardship language. And Psalm 8 was written by King David. He was a poet, um, and a number of other things, a shepherd, a king. And he, his time here is about a thousand years before Jesus Christ. And this psalm that he wrote, it would have been a very powerful reminder, you know, a powerful reminder to himself that he has a lot of power, a lot of opportunity as king, but he must never forget that he is before God, and before God he is a steward. And he's to be a steward over all the things that God has entrusted to him as king with all of that power and opportunity. And so I want to look at this psalm tonight together and highlight four lessons for us to become better stewards. So first, shift your perspective. To to shift your perspective from one way to another, because stewards are not owners. They know instead that they see everything as a gift on loan from God. Right? To shift your perspective from being an owner or a possessor to seeing everything as a gift on loan from God. That's what stewards do. So look at verse 6 again. You, God, have given him, mankind, 
dominion over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet. Right? Half of this verse, and you go back to the, that first slide, or that other slide, Robbie, sorry. Yeah, perfect. Half of this verse, right, talks about what we have. We have dominion, and we have all things under our feet. You can see it there. But the other half of this verse makes it really clear. Like, God is the one who has given it. He's given this dominion to us. He's the one who has put uh, all things under our feet. We have because God gave. Things are under our feet because God put them there. And on top of that, everything we have, everything we enjoy is described as the work or the works of God's hands. It doesn't say the work of our hands. And we, just a quick example, we might exercise dominion by building a robot that can perform microscopic surgery. We've done this. Right? And from one perspective, we can say, well, this is the work of our hands. But a steward has the perspective that God is the one who has given us the raw materials to do this. God is the one who's given us the creativity, the ability, the perseverance to design it and to build it. And so therefore, yes, this... This is something that we have, but it's ultimately a gift from God. That's how stewards see things. And this perspective that God is the source of all that we have, and we're simply stewards over these things, it's echoed throughout the Bible. So here, I should go to the next slide, Robbie. Psalm 50. Every beast in the field of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all the things that move in the field are mine. I mean, today, our version might read like, you know, the thousands of lab tops and Starbucks are mine. Because right? <laughs> we don't really care about cattle on the hills too much. Right? We care about our laptop. But God says, no, that's not your laptop, it's mine. There's in Job 41. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Or James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But when we believe that we're stewards, everything is like a library book. We can check it out, we can enjoy it, but we realize that it doesn't come from us and ultimately belong to us. We're not the sole possessors or owners of the book. It's, a, it's on temporary loan from someone else. Right. What do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4. And let's admit it, this, this perspective it is a real challenge for us. We tend to think of ourselves as owners and possessors of the, you know, most of the stuff that we enjoy. So we say, okay, these are my friends, my free time, my abilities, my major, my summer internship. Right? But, but stewards shift their perspective. Our thinking goes from my friends to the friends that God has blessed me with. Uh, we move from how am I going to spend my time today to like, how does God want me to use the time that he's given to me today? It's a shift. And I, I, know, I have to be careful. I'm not suggesting that you just eliminate the, the, the pronoun my from your vocabulary. I think that would be really awkward and cumbersome. Like, you know, like, hey, Chris, are, are you and Matt friends? Like, is Matt your friend? I, well, no, Matt's not my friend. Matt's the friend that God has blessed me with. I mean, you're going to drive your friends nuts if you just never use the my pronoun. But, like, a steward, at the very least, you know, thinks differently than, than just something that you would possess, like that you're possessing something, right? And occasionally, I, I think it's good for stewards too, if, when you know that, to use that, to speak that kind of language. Like, you know, this summer, I, I was, God gave me such a great internship, great people in the office, and just a wonderful working environment. I was just really blessed that God gave that opportunity to me. 
That's a way a steward would share something like that, rather than just say, oh, my internship is great. Right? I'm not saying you have to do it every time, but it does communicate that you understand you're a steward. At least think that way. Um, so when we embrace this perspective that everything comes from God and everything belongs to Him, and, and whatever we have, there are gifts to be enjoyed from God on loan from Him. We move from being possessors and owners to being stewards. Okay? So that's the first lesson. Second lesson, to embrace the privilege. Stewards embrace the unique privilege and dignity that's been given to them by God. Again, this is right, this is in the psalm too. Look at verse 5. I, I, it's right there on the, on the slide. Our privilege and dignity, they're emphasized there, right? You have made him, mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels. You've crowned him, crowned us, with glory and honor. God has crowned us. I love that language. He's crowned us with glory and honor. What a thought. Like, who gets crowned? You know, kings and queens get crowned. Right, victorious athletes, they win the Super Bowl, what do they do? They go down on the podium and they put on the Super Bowl caps, like, you know, the Super Bowl champions. That's a crown for the Super Bowl champions. Now, I know there's, like, another box for, like, the other, the losing team of, like, Super Bowl champions, and they just get rid of those, right? But, like, that's, that's the idea of, like, you know, you've been crowned, you're a champion. Um, this, it, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of superiority by some sort of, at least by an earthly measure. But God, he has crowned us as the pinnacle of his creation. He's designated us to be his superiors on earth. He, he, he has put everything under our feet. Not the feet of lions or apes, right? But everything under our feet. <laughs> I, I just really want to bring this home. So now imagine this little exercise of creativity, creative thought. Imagine President Icegruber knocks on your dorm room tomorrow morning. Okay? Let's make it 11 o'clock. So you can sleep in a little bit. All right. Knocks on your dorm room, and, and, and he says to you, I'm taking a sabbatical this semester. So I'm hereby putting you in my place. <laughs> I give you all my authority over this university. So now you, you're in charge. You, you can create new policies. You can get rid of old ones. Right? You can build new buildings. You can tear old ones down. You can hire and fire faculty. Here's the checkbook. I mean, just it goes on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, sign me up. And if you're thinking that, that's scary. <laughs> anyway, you should be thinking, like, how amazing that President Eisner would trust me to, to, you know, with the welfare of Princeton University. It's a little crazy, a lot foolish, but, you know, it's amazing. But it's, it's a goofy example, but, like, this is what God has done with us, right? God has turned his domain, his dominion, <laughs> over to us, just like President Eisenberg would turn it over to you. He's entrusted the welfare of this world to us, his image bearers, and, and now his stewards. And, and we can mirror God himself and, and live and act as if he was the one taking care of it, but we're in his place. We're his representatives. We're, we're, we're to image him and how he would care for the earth. Verse 6 says, you know, you've made him ruler over. You've put everything under his feet. And I, I'm amazed at how God has really done this. I mean, and to the extent at which he has given us this privilege and this dignity. I, this, but the psalm mentions, yeah, here we go. The psalm mentions three spheres where God has done this. And it's basically every sphere. It's just a way of saying everywhere, right? He mentions the heavens 
the seeds of the earth. And it is, you know, given by these, all these examples, like the fish in the sea, the birds of the air. So the heavens, the sea, and the earth. And I was just thinking, like, just, this is really true. So the guy just run through these three simple examples, like first the heavens, of how we have dominion over the heavens. Right? NASA has flown people to the moon and back. And now, if you have enough money, Elon Musk will fly you there too, with SpaceX, for an undisclosed amount of money. I think a Japanese, uh, a Japanese billionaire is taking him up on that. Right? I mean, think about that. We can fly 200,000 plus miles through space, land like on a moving rock, a rock that's moving like 2,300 miles an hour, and get, get people back safely. I mean, it's amazing that we have dominion over the heavens like that. I mean, I, I just get excited about getting from point A to point B and being, like, on time, not more than five minutes late. I, not, I can't even think about getting to the moon and back, right? <coughs> so the seas, the second dominion that's mentioned here, that we have dominion over the seas. In 2010, a National Geographic article cited that we removed, uh, this is unimaginable, 170 billion pounds of wildlife from the ocean in that year. And that's 28 pounds of seafood a person. Who is eating all that? <laughs> and of course, we have dominion over the earth, too. We split atoms. We build skyscrapers. We cook gourmet meals from food imported from everywhere. I mean, do you ever consider that the Food Network, any Food Network fans here? Yeah, yeah. That the Food Network, it, it's, it's a testimony to what? Our dominion over God's world and our, that we rule over it. So the point of the psalm is, is that, that we rule over, we have dominion, because God is the one who has given us that privilege. We can do it, and we're able to do it, because God has made us that way. He's, he's given us that power. Um, so seniors, grad students, you know, this is, this is the year, or these are the years for you to embrace this unique privilege that God has given you as stewards over your senior thesis or your dissertation, right? <laughs> You're, if you're a senior, you're going to spend... Yeah, yeah, Jacob, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to spend months reading and researching, hundreds of hours, and if you're a grad student, you have to take everything I'm saying and multiply it by five or six. So, right? Multiple meetings with your advisor, physical demands of losing sleep, the emotional toil when things don't go as planned. It's, the thesis, the dissertation, is a, it's a demanding full-body project for an entire academic year or five or six years. Right? And the result is like 100 pages of brilliance or like 300 pages of brilliance or like a lab that works or something else. And your calling from God is to be a steward over that, your thesis, your dissertation, your research, to be a steward over it, the topic that he's given you. And, and this, of course, this leads to another lesson um, and that that will teach you, but a lot of things will teach you, which is lesson number three, admit our power has limits. Right, stewards humbly recognize that their power has limits, especially compared to God. And we feel this all the time. Right, so seniors and grad students, you know, it'll take you a whole year or five years to create what you need to create. Right, that's, that, you know, there's limitations. You can't do it as quickly as you might want to. Now, you know, think about verses 3 and 4, what David says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for? Like, what David is saying here is, like, God has flung some 50 billion stars into place. Just, just did it with ease. Kind of like a kid would sprinkle M&Ms on his or her Sunday, right? It's just like, well, that's easy, because God just throws stars into place. That's what he does. We can't do that. 
You know, we, we do have to do a lot of heavy lifting to create a thesis or a dissertation, let alone a star. I mean, what? Last time I checked, star making is not on my resume. But I, <laughs> I get to see it, you know, like, oh, it's putting it on your resume. Like, I am responsible for spearheading a team that organized and, you know, put together 10% of the stars in the universe. So if you don't hire me, you're a fool, you know? <laughs> Like, we don't, we don't do that. That's what God does. Like, we have such limitations to what we can do. God does that, we do other things. We can just simply steward. But he's given us the privilege to do amazing things. And you see us, you see this in Jesus, right? This is very hum- a very humbling position to be in. But you see this with Jesus as well. Like, we labor hard as stewards in hospitals, in research labs, to gain dominion over what? Sickness, disease, and then Jesus, he touches someone, and immediately they're healed. Right? The dead are brought back to life. Like, we try to be stewards. We're stewards over life. Right? And we do this through diet, through exercise, through research, through surgery, through prescriptions. But Jesus himself, he's not steward over life. Like, he is life. You know, he's the source of life. He's the one in whom all things hold together and have their being. John 1, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Or later in John 14, Jesus says of himself, right? I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. Right? This is, this, is, this is the reality that we face. We steward life, but Jesus is life. And, and, that, 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 and therein is that the limitations that we have, and this is very humbling for us. So future doctors... The best you can do is steward life. And that's a great calling if that's the calling that God is giving you. But that's as far as you can go. Um, and so God is, is calling some of you to bring health and healing to others. But God himself is life. You are the steward of life. And God, he gives us great dignity as the stewards. But when we come up against our limits as stewards, it should humble us. And it should drive us to recognize our great and deep, deep need for God. Right? There are limitations to who we are as human beings. We need God. Um, and so our limits um, ultimately point us to this last point that I want to make here. Our limits point beyond us. Stewards see that their limits point to the need of a Savior. So consider verse 6 again. It's right there. You, God, have put all things under his or humankind's feet. I mean, think about that. Really? Has God put all things under our feet? Like, are all things really there? If you think about it, even for just a few minutes, you'd say, well, no. That's not the case. What about cancer? What about evil? What about injustice? Like single acts of injustice or systemic institutional injustice. Inequity, poverty, depression and mental illness, unemployment. I know we have the Fed who tries to do things on unemployment, right? But it comes. I mean, some of you have been impacted in your fa- by your family and your families. Conflicts in the Ukraine, conflicts in Washington, D.C., 
Conflicts because we cause them with our own pettiness, our own selfishness, and we hurt and wound other people. Right? Are these things under our feet? Death itself? No. Like, we, we recognize, we live in a reality every single day, every single minute of the day. Like, these things are not under our feet. We don't have dominion over our own sin. We don't have dominion over death. And, and so one of the biggest questions that the psalm raises is, how is God going to put all things under our feet like this sentence? We can't do it ourselves. I mean, David wrote this thing 3,000 years ago. We've had plenty of time to do it. No generation is going to succeed in this. We are so far away from having all things under our feet. So go back to David's question. What is man that you are mindful of him? He's raising this with God. And the son of man that you care for him. Right? Is God mindful of us? Is he mindful of all these things that I just mentioned that are not under our feet and that we're living in them and, and brushing up against them and they're wounding us and, and, and pulling apart societies and families? Right? Does God care for us? And the immediate answer given by the psalmist, well, yeah, God, he, he is mindful and he cares for us. That's why he's given us authority and dominion as his stewards. And so we need to be acting and doing in the world, be agents of righteousness and good. But is that the full extent of God's mindfulness and care toward us? Is there more? Is there more hope than just us? How else will he demonstrate the fact that he is mindful of our state and that he does care for us? So now fast forward a thousand years after David wrote this psalm. God demonstrates that he is mindful of us and he does care for us because he sends his eternal son to us, Jesus Christ. And he enters the world, he takes on flesh, and he, he comes to be with us. He's born as a baby in Bethlehem. And he doesn't come to just be with us, to live with us, and to teach us. He comes to die for us. He dies for our sins, and he dies for this broken world. All those things that just we want under our feet, but they're not there. He dies so that this broken world can be made new. And so what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you should care for him? I hope you can see how this question, it points to Jesus. And it's answered so clearly by his life, his death, and his resurrection. There's, there's a powerful passage in the New Testament. This, this psalm is in the Old Testament. There's a powerful passage in the New Testament that takes Psalm 8, and it applies that psalm that we've studied tonight, it applies it to the, to the remarkable work of Jesus Christ. It's in Hebrews 2, 5 through 10. Now, I, I don't want you to get worried here, right? This is not the beginning of sermon number two. It's like, oh my goodness, another passage. No, no, this is almost over. We're going to land the plane, okay? <laughs> but I, I want to read it because I want you to hear how the Hebrews writer sees that how Jesus is the fulfillment of the psalm that we've just studied tonight. So listen to Hebrews 2. This is verses 5 through 10. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, this somewhere is actually Psalm 8, and here's the quote, you'll recognize it. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now here it is. Now in putting everything in subjection to him... Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, but we see him 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, who came to be with us, who was born, he lived among us, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, there it is again, he's the source of life, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here the Hebrews writer clearly says, all things are under Jesus' feet. We cannot put all these enemies under our feet. Only Jesus can save us from our own sin. Only Jesus can heal this completely broken world. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can have confidence that through faith in him, Jesus has put our sin under his feet. Maybe that's the enduring picture that you need as you leave here tonight is looking at Jesus, seeing his foot raised, and underneath his foot is your sin. It's not on you anymore. It is under his foot. It is subject to him. And he is the source of life. He is the life. He's the resurrected one. Like it will stay there. It's not going trust him. Or you can picture this world with all of its brokenness. And you can picture those things under his feet. And like the Hebrews writer says, we don't see it completely now, but a day is coming when all of those broken things will be redeemed and all things will be made new. In the meantime, those things are under his feet. And they will not move because he is victorious one. He has done. He will wipe away every tear, and all suffering will be removed. Picture those things under his feet, because they are. Even though at present, we, don't, we, don't, we can't see that, but by faith, we know that that is true. That is our hope. And the one who has our hope, he is trustworthy. He will do it. And until then, until that day comes when our faith becomes sight, until then, we are stewards. Right? We're called to live for him, called to honor him wherever he takes you. He calls us to steward our gifts and our opportunities in order to love and serve others and to bring him glory. So will you do that? And how will you do that? What kind of steward will you be for God? And in a few minutes, Jonathan Z, he's going to share how God has been teaching him more and more about what it means to live for God, to be a disciple, to be a steward, to be a servant of Christ. And before Jonathan comes up, let's sing a song of praise and a song of dedication to God, praising him that he has put all things under Jesus' feet, and singing in a way where we're calling on him that we might live lives that steward the gifts that God has given us 